not a verse you got to be scared of. It's a verse that, in its simplicity, carries a great weight. And hopefully before the day is over, we get that John 3, 16. Of course, I'm reading the English Standard Version. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Would you flip over to John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3. In verse 16. Now, remember that, that the Bible was not originally written with chapter and verse designations. Okay? Somewhere, the, 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 the kind of some, some people, and honestly, I, I don't know this. I don't know who it was, but kind of put the chapter and the designations there. First uh, John would have been written as a letter, and, and so it, it wouldn't have had these. But I find it very interesting that John 3.16 and 1 John 3.16 are so close. First John 3.16, for this we know love. Now, I believe the King James Version uh, elaborates on that and says, for this we know the love of God. So we're not talking about just any old love. We're not talking about, you know, you know boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife love. We're talking about the love, the love of God. By this we know the love of God, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. It's amazing to realize the depth that God has gone for our souls. And if you have one more uh, moment, turn to 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, and this is going to be kind of where I go. I, I don't have a cool title slide. I don't even have a cool title. I, it's hard to, to uh, get it all in, and we're going to do a little teaching today. But 1 John 1 says, and, and 1 John 1 and chapter 9 says, If we confess our sins. We confess our sins. That is what we do. Now, there's four things that God does, and we're going to hit a whole lot more than these four. But if we confess our sins, then he is faithful, he is just, and he will forgive our sins, and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm going to tell you right now, there is something about confession, and it's linked to repentance. And 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 today, I hope that that even all of us here, you've been in church all your life, you've repented enough times, you've you've you you you've done all that, you understand it. I hope before today is over, when you walk out these doors, you have a fresh understanding of what confession and repentance is, because I do. As I begin to, to walk through the pages of the Bible, I begin to see that maybe even I don't have a full understanding of repentance, but I think I do now, to realize what it means to confess our sins. And when you do, the whole of eternity is opened. He's just. He's faithful. He'll cleanse our sins and he will or forgive our sins and he will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Would you pray with me right now? Father, we are blessed and we are so thankful to be in your presence. And right now, I ask once again that as we go to the word of God, that Lord, you would help us, that you would guide us and you would let your word, your word be a light to our feet, a lamp to our path. Your word speak and create in us change, we ask, in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. And you can be seated. Um, there's, there's things about God that are sometimes hard to explain. Maybe we could talk about the initial forgiveness, Acts 2.38, that, that plan of salvation that lays out so perfectly 
when Peter said unto them, Repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission or removal of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That becomes the, the, the blueprint for, for our salvation. But there is this understanding that what happens after salvation. Now, 1 John takes a lot of time, and I'm going to do a little bit of teaching, cover quite a bit, but, but we're going to really hopefully focus on that, that 1 John 1 and 9. But really, there are, there are three things or three ways that, that we could deal with our sin. One of them is horridly wrong, and two of them I think we, we must do. But, but the first thing we could do is we could try to cover our sin. We could... Uh, begin to live a life much like uh, King David did, 2 Samuel 11 and 12, where he, he has the affair with Bathsheba and, 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 and the lust, and then he commits adultery. And even then, as bad as that is, perhaps he could have backed up and confessed and said, you know, I've, I've done wrong, I've sinned, I've come short of the glory of God. But instead, he tried to cover his sin. He deceived Bathsheba's husband, tried to get him drunk, wanted him to... To, to, to go to his wife and be with his wife and then maybe when she becomes with child everybody thinks it's Bathsheba's and Bath, or, or Uriah's and Uriah wouldn't do it and so he had Uriah killed to cover his sin. Then David goes on and he's, he's going about as the king. He's, he's, he's covered the sin. Now he's covering his, his life and he's trying to live as if nothing happened and carry on his, the duties of, of, of royalty in the usual way until the prophet Nathan comes. Points his finger and tells a story about a, a, a poor man that had one sheep, a rich man that had a lot. And one day the rich man wanted to uh, kill a sheep so he could have some food for some guests. And he goes and he steals the sheep from that poor man, that one sheep. And David is quick to condemn that man. There's, there, there, there's condemnation. But yet somewhere in that, and it's true in all of our lives, we're quick to condemn others. But when's the last time you condemned yourself? When's the last time you pointed your finger at your Self. Allow me to walk quickly. I, I don't want to do necessarily a verse-by-verse verse exposition on 1 John, and so I would love for you to maybe go home today. There's only five or so chapters. It's a very quick read. Go home and read it, but John starts out, 1 John starts out just like John, the other book that he, he, he wrote uh, starts, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. It echoes words that Peter wrote in 1 Peter, he said that God has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Or maybe 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and 5 where it says we are the children of the light. Or John chapter 3 where he says that those who are in the wrong or those that do wrong, they hate the light. Because Ephesians teaches us that it's the light of God. That when it shines on us, it reveals our true nature. God is Light. He's the, he, he's the epitome of everything that light is. Light produces life. Light produces growth. But sin has been said over and over in the word that sin is darkness. Sin is hidden. Sin uh, uh, doesn't like it. What, what does it say? Men, we're, we, we tend, and not just the male gender, but humanity, we are lovers of darkness. We like the dark because we don't have to confront things in the dark but the thing about it is it is 
physically, with meaning the word physics, it is impossible for light and dark to dwell at the same moment in time. Light throws darkness away. And so if you were walking in the light, then the darkness has to go. There is no gray area when it comes to God's light. There is no middle ground. There is no vagueness where sin is concerned. And so the first thing that so many do is we try to cover our sins. Let me walk through this very quickly. Uh, when you try to cover your sins, the first thing you do is you tell lies. And if you have your Bible, it would help me to go a little quicker if I don't have to read every verse and, and do it. Just open up your Bibles to 1 John and, and look at chapter 1. But 1 John chapter 1 and 6 tells that, that the first thing we do is we tell lies to others. I'm not asking you to raise your hand, I'm not going to do a confession here, but have you ever tried to act more spiritual than you really are? Have you ever tried to make it look like everything's okay when deep down inside there is sin that you are covering up? We want everybody around us to feel and think that we're spiritual. So we lie about the condition of our lives. We try to put on a good show, make a good favorable impression. We want them to think we're walking in the light, but in reality, we're walking and living in the darkness. And here's the, the, the slippery slope of, of sin. Once you start lying to others, it's not very long before you are lying to yourself. You lie to yourself. First John 1 and 8 begins to tell us about that, that, that that's when we begin to lie to ourself. It's, it's not now the deception that others have seen, but it's the deception that we ourselves are in. And, and I believe this to be true. It's possible for a believer to live in sin, yet convince himself that everything is okay in his relationship with the Lord. I'm not saying that's right. I'm saying I believe it's true. David did the same thing. David got to the place where perhaps he believed the lie that everything's going to be okay. I didn't get caught. It's very, it's quite possibly that David lived almost a year before the prophet Nathan came and confronted his sin. Nine months of a conception, the birth, and then the baby being born. He lived there, and maybe he had gotten to the place where his conscience was seared, and, and he could walk without feeling that weight, and he had convinced himself, maybe he felt no condemnation at all. But John, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 10 makes it a little bit worse. It says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And here's where that spiritual decline becomes far worse. Not only have we lied to others, not only have we lied to ourselves, but now we're lying to God. We've made ourselves liar. Now we try to say that God is lying. We contradict this word. What does this word say? All have sinned. You don't know what the Greek and Hebrew meaning for all is? All. It means you. It means me. It means the person on your right, left, front, and back, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so if you get to the place where you say, I'm not sin, I'm good, everything's fine, I don't need it, you're calling God a liar because God said all have sinned. Some get to the place where they maintain that they're somehow the exceptions of the rule. Everybody else has sinned, not me. 
not me. And so it is that what do you do when you have covered your sin? That's the first thing you can do when you, there's sin. But I, I guess, hopefully, I, I shouldn't have to tell you. Proverbs chapter 28 verse 13 says this, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. So if you're in this place today, I need you to, I need you to make some changes in your life. David covered his sins and he lost his health. He lost his joy. He lost his family. He almost lost his kingdom. He almost lost the complete presence of God. And so I would like to just remind somebody here that if you're in the place where you can cover sin and seem to be okay with it, then, then you need to get right with God. You need to get right with God. Because that answer to sin in our life is not acceptable to cover. There's only two answers in life that, that will help us with sin, and that is first, you have to confess your sins, and then second, you can live victorious or you can conquer your sin. And so I really want to spend time today talking about this confession and what God does when that happens. John uses big words in his writings. John gives us words that make you think, and there's two titles that he gives here uh, uh, to Jesus Christ. You can find it in 1 John chapter 2, in the first two verses. He uses these phrases. He says that he is the propitiation and he is the advocate. Now, a simple... Uh, 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 looking into the dictionary for propitiation if you're not careful you may get the wrong meaning of what it is if I'm not mistaken the dictionary will say something like this it means to appease someone who is angry now don't look at your wife right now or your husband but have you ever just appeased someone because they were angry you know, you just you just try to try to give them something so they'll go away you, you don't want to deal with, with it that is not what Jesus Christ did. It was not the, the appeasement of an angry God. It was not the way that you, you, you throw something. And, and, and honestly, there are so many uh, of, of other world religions that, that, that are characterized as false that their idea is you appease an angry God. You, uh, I was reading something just very recently or, or, or saw something, but the, the ancient Mayans and the Aztec temples, they, they would have these sacrifices up on top of those, those uh, pyramids and ziggurats and, and they, would, they would reach in and pull the, the beating heart of, a, uh, of some innocent person and they would hold it up and they, they, they had all of these different things. They were appeasing an angry God. But if you apply this idea of propitiation to Jesus Christ, you're painting a horrible picture of an angry God about to destroy the world and this loving Savior giving himself to appease that irate God and that is not what the Bible lays out. In fact, I, well, well first off, let me tell you this. Yes, God is angry at sin. Yes, God hates sin. Yes, the very nature of God is at war with sin. I get that, but my Bible tells me something different. My Bible says, not for God so hated the world that he gave his only begotten son, but my Bible tells me something far different. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. 
It's love. It's the characteristic of love. That propitiation, it's not the appeasing of an angry God, but it rather it's the satisfying of God's holy law. God, 1 John 1, 5, God is light. Therefore, God cannot close his eyes to sin. There, there, this is partly why the Bible says if you confess your sins, he is just. Justice ought never be blind. The scales of justice ought never be tampered with so that it weighs one person's sin or one person's life greater than another. God is just. The wages of sin, the word of God says, is death. And so it is that when God, who is the very essence of light himself, when God looks upon each and every one of us and the condition and the state of where we are and who we are, it is the light of God that looks at us and says, you have sinned. I got all excited. I wanted to use both hands and I got to hold one hand with the mic. Y'all can edit that out of the video or put it on a blooper reel one day. But, but God is, is light and he shines on each one of us. And so there is the first attribute of God. He is just. He, he doesn't look at one person and say, well, they're sinners. I, I guess I better take care of them and, 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 and condemn them to hell. And then look at somebody else and say, ah, I kind of like them. I'll let it slide. God doesn't let sin slide. There is no one that's going to walk into judgment day, hand God a couple, you know, $100 bills and say, can you look the other way? Because God is just. It's the light of God that illuminates. But can I tell you that just as much as God is light, God is also love. That's the difference. This is where it is. How can a holy God uphold his own justice yet still forgive sinners? It's where you get both of those words, the propitiation, but also the advocate. It was the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for, watch this, listen, you need to understand this. At the cross, God in his holiness judged Sin. What did sin require? Sin required the death of something innocent and blood to be shed. That's Old Testament. All Actually, that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. In order to cover Adam and Eve's sin, some innocent animal had to die. The skins of that animal were put on, on Adam and Eve to physically cover their shame and their nakedness. And so it was at the cross... With the death of Jesus, it was brutal, it was horrible, there were blood pouring out. It was a sacrifice. Jesus did not want to die. The humanity cried and screamed and fought against it as much as he could until he finally said, not my will, but thine be done. At the cross, God in his holiness judged sin. And if you think that, that, that the Old Testament way, uh, that, that God's Old Testament uh, covenant was a, a, a horrid, nasty, disgusting way to handle sin. 
I, I preached on this. It's been a while ago, but so, somebody did kind of a, a very rough calculation of how many animals would have been killed just on the daily sacrifices or the yearly sacrifices in, in Israel. Not counting if you did something on your own and had to come. There were, there were billions of gallons of blood that were shed. The, the, hanging around the temple would not have been a very pleasant time. People with weak stomachs, you're not going to hang around the tabernacle. Because there's the shrieks of the animals as their throats are being cut. There's the smell of all of the things that are happening. It's bloody. It's, it's nasty. But can I tell you that that is what justice required. And the cross was no different. This is partly why it messed with so many people. They couldn't see beyond the, 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 that day. But can I tell you, now justice is saying, I'm, I, I, I'm getting past the, the death of bulls and, 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 and goats and sheep. But now I'm requiring the death of humanity. Now you've got a, a, a person hanging on the cross. God in his sovereign holiness was judging sin. But God, in his love, said this is not just some sacrifice I pulled off the street and we're going to kill him on the cross, but you have to go back to John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What is it? God said, I am going to come in the likeness of sinful man and I'm going to manifest myself. I'm going to come. I'm going to offer humanity a savior. Yes, God was just when he punished sin, but God is so loving in that he said, I will give forgiveness Forgiveness for all through the death of Jesus Christ on Calvary. Not only is Christ the propitiation, the ad, or rather the, the propitiation, the sacrifice for the sins of the whole world, but He becomes the advocate. And here's the difference: this is where you separate the uh, weak doctrine of. God loves you and he doesn't care what you do, okay? Yes, the death of Jesus Christ died for all humanity. But only believers get the second part of that, gets the advocate. Because the Bible says we, I think this is 1 John 1 and 7, we, meaning believers, have an advocate with the Father. This advocate, it's, it's a... Another way to look at it, if you'd like to, is it's applied to lawyers. It's the same word that, that John used when he recorded the words of Jesus, when Jesus was talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit, coming of the Holy Ghost, John 14. And, and, and there he says that literally it's, that, that he said the Holy Ghost is going to come alongside you. It's an advocate. It's, it's coming. If, if you were summoned to court and you, you were going to uh, have to, plead your case, you would do yourself good to take an advocate along. Take someone who will stand beside you and help you. And when Jesus finished his work on earth, he gave his life as a sacrifice for sin. That was a finished work. Everything that happened on that cross was enough. The blood shed on Calvary was enough to cover the sins all the way from Adam and Eve to the very last person that will be born before the judgment day. 
what he did on the cross, what he did being buried, what he did, it covered sin once and for all. It took care of it once and for all, which is why Jesus on the cross could heave his last breath and say, it is finished. Because he satisfied the justice of God. But today, there is an unfinished work of Christ. Unfinished simply because there's still time. The Bible says that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so I could take you back to Hebrews and let you see Christ as the high priest. And so it is. And, and I realize I can paint pictures, and, and, and I, I'm trying to paint just the pictures that, that we find in the Bible. And it is that right now, the unfinished work of our high priest, Jesus Christ. He sympathizes with our weakness. He understands the temptations that you and I have gone through. And he gives us grace. And if we confess our sins, the advocate steps in and says, Oh, I've already satisfied that. I was just waiting for the moment that they would let me apply that to their Zechariah, the book of Zechariah, it's not a familiar passage of scripture. The book of Zechariah chapter 3 verse 1 through 7 shows a picture of this. It, it, it shows Joshua. This is not the same Joshua that conquered the promised land. It's not Joshua and the walls of Jericho. This is many, 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 many generations later. But Joshua was the high priest. It's after the Jews had returned to their land following the captivity in Babylon. The nation had sinned. They, I mean, that, that's the whole reason they had to go in captivity. God had, had given them plenty of time to repent. And all of the major and minor prophets deal with it. And now they're here. And Joshua uh, begins to, or, or Zechariah begins to talk about Joshua. And it paints the picture. It shows that, jo that Joshua is standing before God in filthy garments. Satan stands at Joshua's right hand to accuse him. It, it, it references uh, what we find in Revelation that Satan is the accuser of the brethren and Satan has this whole litany, whole list of sins and, and, and Joshua representing the, the, the Israelites, he stands before God in filthy garments. God is judging. Joshua, well, representing the people, he's the accused. Satan is the prosecuting attorney. And it would look, if you read, it would look that Satan would have a pretty open and shut case because Israel had sinned so much. But Joshua had an advocate. The Bible says that Joshua got a change of clothes, changed the situation, and silenced the accusations of Satan. This is what you need to have in your mind to realize when Jesus is called our advocate, he stands at your defense and it's what he did on the cross that allows him to have that forgiveness of the sins and so because he died for the you then he can satisfy the justice of God the wages of sin is death but because he lives forevermore he applies that sacrifice to your life and my life day in and day out so what does it mean I read a story, I read it, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know that it's necessarily a real story, but I read a story that said a counselor was trying to help a man who'd come forward. It was like an altar call. 
And uh, the man said, I'm a Christian, but there's sin in my life and I need help. The counselor showed him John 1, 9 and said, you need to confess your sins to the Lord. And so the man began to pray. Father, if we've done anything wrong, that, that counselor, that altar worker said, oh, wait a minute, don't drag me into your sin. It's not if, it's not we. You better get down to business with God. So listen to me carefully. There are times in our life where, where we, we've lived for God, we've, 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 um, you know, we've heard all these words, repent. Sometimes we don't ever think about what it really means to do that. And so this is where I want to take you in a little bit deeper journey. And maybe even for those, and, and I would be in that same boat, for all of us that have walked through Acts 2.38, we've, been, we've repented, we've been baptized, we've been filled with the Holy Ghost, but we find ourselves, temptation comes, we fall, whatever it might be, there's sin. Let me show you what it really means to confess your sins. It's not praying some beautiful, lovely prayer. It's not even making pious excuses, as I read one commentator say. It's not trying to impress God. It's not even just saying, Lord, I'm sorry that I sinned. But confession. What is confession? Well, let me ask you this, Sean. If you uh, left today and you went and robbed QT because, you know, you want the pretzels, what would it mean for you to confess? What would you have to say? No, that's not a confession. That's an apology. So, so the police come and they lock you up. You're in handcuffs. They sit you in that chair. They put the light in your face. And they say, we need a confession. What would you have to do to confess? I stole the pretzels. Listen to me. I'm beginning to realize over the last couple of days that we've got the apology down pat. We've got the, hey, I need your forgiveness down pat. But when was the last time you looked God in the eye and you confessed? And, and I know I put you on the spot, Brother Sean. And, 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 but, but did you catch that? And, and I'm going to throw you on the bus now. What Sean did at first was how we like to repent. I'm sorry I stole the pretzels. I was hungry. You didn't say that, but I'm sorry I stole the pretzels. I didn't have enough money for it. I'm sorry I told the lie. I just kind of got myself backed into a corner and wasn't thinking about it. I'm sorry I I I I, I did this. I'm sorry I was watching and let my eyes get 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 focused on this. But you know I was just weak. I I'm sorry. I but but that's not what it is. This is what true confession is. True confession is when you don't say, I'm sorry I have sinned, but you begin to call it by name what God calls it. I was envious. I was hatred. It was lust. It was deceit. Confession is when you become honest with yourselves and honest with God, and if you involved anybody else in that sin, then you have to be honest with them too. It is so much more than just an omission of guilt. It means to judge sin and Face it head on. I've sinned and then this is what I've done. When you confess your sin, 
then you you when you confess your sins, then then God promises to forgive us of our sin. But this ought not be some. Again, another commentator put it this way: It ought not be some magic lucky rabbit's foot you can rub every time you need it. It shouldn't make it easy for you to disobey God just because it says if we confess our sins, He's just and able to forgive us. All right, get your big boy shoes out. I'll get mine too. Brother Miller just walked out. You can blame Brother Miller. You can blame Brother Bob Hickey. They told me a couple weeks ago, they said, man, Pastor, just preach it to us hard. So if you don't like it, blame them. Have you ever in your life, and I promise you, each and every one of us have, even if it was when you were a kid, have you ever said in your mind, I'm going to sin because I know I can go repent and everything will be okay? Oh, sure we have. I've done it. You've done it. And, and, and even if you haven't said it quite so pretty and quite so easily, you've done that in your life. You've sinned, and then you didn't feel as bad about it because you know, I'm going to get right with God. I'm going to find myself. This verse is not a license to sin. It doesn't say if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. But instead, I read somebody that, that told his pastor, said, I went out and sinned because I knew I could come back and ask God to forgive me. That was what somebody told their pastor. Not any of y'all, it's not me. The, the pastor said, how do you know God will forgive you? On what basis do you come up with this? And he sent him to John chapter, you know, the, the, the boy uh, sent him to John chapter 1 and verse 9. God is faithful and just. And the chaplain said this, the pastor said this, those two words should have kept you out of sin question went on do you know what it cost God to forgive you of your sins the boy hung his head and he said Jesus had to die for me it wasn't an easy thing forgiveness is not some cheap work it's not even some trick or our or method that God performs but God's faithful to his promise. God is just. And because Jesus died for your sins, because he paid the penalty for you, the next time you get in your mind that you plan to sin, you might as well get a picture and realize this. When you sin, you are sinning against a loving, faithful God that cost him everything. It's that, 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 that he's faithful to forgive us our sins. And then it says that he, is, he, he will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That cleansing, I began to study and I, I found that there are two sides to that sin. There is the judicial side and there's the personal side. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross. It delivers us from the guilt. It frees us from, it, it, it's that justification, a right standing with God. He's able to forgive because the death satisfied the law. But it's more than just that judicial, you know, kind of check mark. I've, I've taken care of the penalty of sin. I like what, what God did when David began to pray in, in Psalms chapter 51 and verse 10. He said, create in me a clean heart, O God. 
there is a cleansing work that God wants to do. It's more than just a forgiveness of sins. It's more than just a taking away of the penalty of sin. But God wants to cleanse your work. And he does it two ways. He's going to cleanse it by his spirit. And he's going to cleanse it by his word. Which makes it to the, to the last one. You can cover your sins. We're not going to do that. You need to confess your sins. That's what we've been talking about. And then you can conquer your sins. Can, can, I, can I invite you to, to look back at John chapter, 1 John chapter 2. Little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. We like to look at the second verse or the second part. But if you sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, the propitiation of our sins. But that is not what John started to say. John was saying, you don't have to sin. I'm writing to you these things that you may not sin. And the answer to the secret of victory over sin is found in this phrase, that they walk in the light. To walk in the light means to be open and honest, to be sincere. It was Paul that prayed for his friends in Philippians chapter 1 verse 10. It says that I, I, that they, I pray that they may be sincere and without offense. The word sincere, it, it's an interesting uh, study. As best I can tell, the root of sincere comes from two Latin words. Sin Sierra, S-I-N-E, Sierra, C-E-R-A. And it means without, that's sin, Sierra, wax, without wax. For it seems to be that in the days of the Romans, they would make these incredible marble statues. Maybe some of you have seen them in different places, art museums, or if you've ever had a chance to go to Rome, you see these incredible uh, statues. And they learned that they could cover up their mistakes are the flaws by putting wax in the voids and they could cover you know they, they could make the wax the same color as that white stone or if the white stone had veins of color running through it they could do that and they would do that and so it would look as if everything was perfect and it would look as if nobody made any mistakes and, and, and the, the, the defects were not readily visible until sometimes those statues got uh, put outside and the hot sun would begin to beat down and the sun would begin to heat up and melt the wax and pretty soon the longer it was in the light of the sun then the more exposed the mistakes and the defects were. But the more dependable sculptors would make sure that their sculptures and their statues were sold sincera, without wax, insomuch that they would take their sculptures outside and prove to you that this sculpture can stand in the light of the sun as long as it wants to stand and you're not going to find any cover-ups. You're not going to find any hiding of flaws. Can I tell you today that if you ever want to live above sin 
you're going to have to get to the place where you're willing to live sincere not covering up the flaws, not trying to walk and fill the defects of your life with wax and act like everything's okay, but instead you've got to be able to put yourself tested by the light of God. God is light, and when you walk in the light, you shouldn't have to hide anything. Don't masquerade it. If you want to walk in the light, you're going to have to obey the word of God. For Psalms tells us this, the word is a lamp to our feet and a light to my path. To walk in the light means to spend time in the Word of God. Spend time asking and obeying what it says. One person said it this way, Obedience to God's Word is proof of our love for Him. There's three motives for obedience. You can obey because you have to. You can obey because you need to or you can obey because you want to. A slave obeys because he has to. An employee obeys because he needs to. He may not like the job, but he likes the paycheck. He obeys because he has a family to feed and clothe. But you and I ought to obey because we want to. Walking in the light means to walk in honesty, obedience, and love. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6 says, not only do we follow the example of God, but we ought to walk as He walked. And the second is we abide in Christ. He's the propitiation, the sacrifice for our sins. He's the advocate that represents us before the just judge. But he's also the pattern that we follow for our daily life. And we walk with him. And we say, God, I don't want to cover. I want to confess. And I want to conquer. Would you stand in this place today?